Hi, everyone. Welcome to Shelter in Place. I'm Alan Combs. And I'm Joey Porch. The theme of today's episode is Faith in the Time of COVID-19. Our guest today will be Taylor Mertens, who is a 30-something pastor, podcast host, and fan of parables. Let's hunker down. You may have noticed on the intro today that Christine is not uh, with us today, and so our husband Joey Porch is stepping out from behind the production booth to be with us as our co-host today. Joey, how you doing? Doing well. Good. We uh, we thought it'd be good for Joey to get on today uh, because part of what we want to talk about with Taylor is sort of not only faith in the, in the midst of COVID-19, but also uh, ministry itself, sort of the, even some of the mechanics of what it looks like to try to do the work, that kind of work. Um, in the midst of this. And so, of course, as we all know, I, I'm a pastor, um, but Joey, uh, in, addic- in addition to being the, the production brains behind uh, Shelter in Place, is uh, in the band at the church where I serve. And so we work together a lot in that capacity. And so Joey has had a lot of work involved lately in terms of that adaptation, particularly in regards to moving us from being a church primarily that has worship in person to one that right now has to be live streamed. So we had to do a lot of work about that. So uh, Joey, what is your memory of, I mean, it seems like it's been like two years ago now, but it was really a month and a half ago. Uh, in terms of the beginning of that transition towards a live stream, what what did that look like on your end when you started to sort of realize this, this is what we were going to have to do? Sure. I know we had talked about doing a live stream really for the last year or two about wanting to do that for our, our service. But with the, the, COVID-19 coming about and, you know, fear starting to rise. We, we had talked about what, what we might have to do in a couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden it seemed like, what do we have to do this weekend? So I know we had approximately three days. I think we learned on a Thursday that we were going to do a live stream on Saturday or or maybe on a Friday. I think here's what I remember is we had started to talk. There had been no official declaration. In fact, I think we were still maybe thinking of having church the upcoming Sunday, but then tried to be prepared for the next Sunday, and then it was that Friday where the governor closed the schools, and not long after that, uh, in our system, we have a bishop, and so not long after that, our bishop um, decided to cancel worship services in person for an indefinite amount of time, and so I think it was kind of like, oh, not only do we need to do this, but we need to do it, like, right now, like, this moment. I mean, I think I'd, I, you know, in my mind, I was sort of thinking small, and I had ordered, like, a little tripod because I thought I was going to have to be, like, filming on my phone in my house, which a lot of people are doing and doing very well, and there's nothing wrong with. Um, but because we were already thinking about it, and you had talked to the people that we were working with, it helped that they were sort of already on board to come in and sort of consult with us. So I think that afternoon, that Friday afternoon, we got together with the folks who were going to help us with that work. That's right. We had scheduled them to come in uh, that Thursday, we talked to them to come in on Friday, and service right. had not been canceled yet. Uh, so we did have to get things together in a pretty quick amount of time, just a couple of days. We got we got the right, uh, enough technology to patch us along. Right. Luckily, we had already gone through a little bit of a renovation with the, the Fellowship Hall to update our sound system. So our sound system was actually in a really good state to easily plug that into a live stream. What we didn't have were any of the video aspects. Right, we had to have like the switcher to switch between the cameras and then uh, the cameras we used, that was sort of the most piecemeal part of it because we had like a a VHS from like, or not a VHS, but like just like a regular handheld video camera from like 2013 in your GoPro. And those were sort of our two angles. And and honestly, it didn't work bad. I mean, they worked pretty well. Um, for it definitely got us through those first couple of Sundays. It, um, it wasn't ideal. And I think if you actually looked at it from, if anyone had walked in there and seen the setup we had, right. I don't think they imagined what we could actually turn out with that. So, so we were able to do things pretty quickly, which was good. And, um, yeah, those first couple of Sundays were definitely a learning experience. I feel like we're in a Jeez. much better place now that we've gone through it a couple of times. And now we're even expanding beyond Facebook. And this week will be our first official Google, YouTube live stream yeah. as well. I mean, I think a part of our goal is all along has just been to say like how, how, how many different ways can people access what we're trying to do? Cause obviously there's a advantage to Facebook and that there's interaction and there's comments and there's likes and there's things that are happening. And so you can sort of get a sense of where people are. Um, but not everybody uses Facebook and everybody likes Facebook. And so being able to get the stream to a place where we can expand a little bit, I think will be helpful, you know? And I think, <clears throat> so, I mean, you know, I think that what's interesting to me is to look around and you sort of thumb through Facebook on Sunday morning, and people are doing it all, all sorts of different ways. And I don't know if there's any better way to do it than others. I mean, our approach has been, like, how much can we recreate from Sunday 
to have the elements that people are familiar with and are comforting while also acknowledging that nothing we're doing is familiar and, and everything we're doing is uncomfortable. But every, everybody's just approached it very differently. Um, and we've, we, we've sort of tried to live into some of those approaches too while also trying to do what we can. And I think that's like a weekly conversation is like how to, how to make that happen. Though we've, we've figured out some rhythms, I think. so. But our goal all along has just been how can we keep people connected to what's happening you know, in the life of, of the church, in their own faith life, one, because that's our job. I mean, that's what we're supposed to do. But also, you know, I think it would be really easy during this time just to be like, you know, getting up on Sunday morning and and doing this thing, like, why is it still important to me? Like, and if he, if they get out of the rhythm of it, getting back into the rhythm is, I mean, we've talked about this before, like, even for us, like, we used to have four services. Having one service has not been hard on us in that way. You know, yeah, it's nice to not have to be at church at 7 a.m. on Sunday morning. Right. I mean, I think what we, you know, it's it's hard in other ways because, I, like you said before, the actual process of streaming it, it, a service is very stressful. Uh, you know, I mean, I remember that you know um, the first week that we did it, like when we finally got it done, like I think everybody just felt like crying because <laughs> we were so stressed out about how it was going to go. And well, we and, didn't and have that. everything working until about 20 seconds <laughs> right. before we went live. We yeah. were still trying to get the last couple pieces to work. And, uh, so when we say do it live, we really yeah, did it right. live yeah. that Sunday. Yeah. To let you behind the curtain. Yeah. I mean, and that's, and that's not the only time that's happened, but I mean, I think, you know, we've done our, our best and there are a lot of people who are doing their best. And it's been interesting to me to see the creativity that's come out when people, um, and the approaches that they've taken, uh, you know, like I said, I think there's lots of different ways you can do this. And so you don't really want to sort of pick one over another, uh, cause people have different talents, different gifts, different resources, all that kind of stuff. I mean, one thing I'm grateful for is that we had people on board who knew stuff about this kind of stuff. I know a little bit of technological stuff, but in terms of audio and sound and video, your, your help and other people's has been, been helpful. So I'm, I'm really grateful that, <clears throat> to if we have to do this to be figuring it out together so yeah and i know the first couple of sundays it was really more of the um not the traditional service but our c- contemporary service because that was what we were familiar with and that's what our room was set up to right, do that's where it's, that's where we have to plug in and have the internet and have the sound capability to be able to to live stream from that room right yeah we can't do that from either of the other locations where you can have services in our building but now that we've gotten past that we actually have we almost have a blended service every sunday because we have <laughs> all of the elements not all but we have a lot of the different elements right. from uh, other members or other parts of the different services that also contribute and we get participation from families at home, whether or not they're doing a reading or Easter yeah. was a really big time where we had, you know, three different services within one week yes. and we were able to pull in and have different people participate in that as well. Although all remotely, we weren't together. Right. I mean, I think that's, and that was, that's been sort of my, some of my, what I've grown in my approach to it is just like, what does it look like to involve more and more people? Partly because you don't want it to just be sort of a niche of a, of a only representative, of only one kind of worship that we do, but also people will really appreciate seeing each other, you know, and seeing people they haven't seen in a while. And I think that's actually part of it. You know, when we did, we do every year, we do sort of a passion reading where we, where we talk about on, on during Holy Week, where we talk about Jesus going to the cross. It's a long story. And often we will read that whole story and we'll have different people read different parts and the congregation has a part. And, and, and so that, that was probably you know, eight or nine people on a zoom that we did where we read through it and recorded it, and, and it was very meaningful to people. And I think that's that's kind of what, what the part that's grown lately is, you know, now we have the, the readers who are reading the Scripture, they're sending in a video, and then our children's minister, she sends in a video. And then, um, you know, since our, our traditional worship folks aren't aren't there on Sunday, they're recording videos and sending in. And so this thing we've pieced together creates a, a sense that, the different gifts of the, of what we're trying to do are sort of all coming together. Um, but it's just different because on a, on average Sunday, everybody has their part. And so you can sort of like rest in your part and let them do their part. And I feel like with a live stream, we're responsible for all the parts, you know, (laughs) even if it's somebody else's video, if the video messes up, it's still our fault. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's what's stressful to me about is that we're responsible for all the things. Like normally when the children's minister is talking, I can sort of, you know, I can pay attention to her, but I can also sort of like rest in the fact that like people's attention is somewhere else and it doesn't matter what we're doing. And especially if something's going wrong, you know, 
if I'm not on the screen doing something, sometimes I'm at my computer monitoring comments or interacting or whatever, and people are saying, stuff's wrong, something's going wrong, and I'm like, oh, no, you know, I mean, that, that part is a little bananas. Like you said, we've been talking about doing this anyways, anyways so interestingly enough, we're, we're probably working a lot of the kinks that we will use whenever whenever we can start to approach some some version of getting back together. Hopefully, we will have worked out a lot of the, the things that we would have had to work out. Though, of course, we've had to work them out in front of everybody instead of just like a few people watching and us working them out. It's been literally the entire congregation. Yeah, if you chooses. want to participate, you have to do the live stream now or or, yeah. or, or watch the live yeah. stream. So, yeah, we've definitely had to work that out in front of everybody. But I feel like we're definitely in a, a much better place now than we were. When did this start? <laughs> I know, I know, yeah. When did it not start? I mean, yeah, I think that's right. And so part of what we want to talk about with Taylor on this episode is um, you know, we have our approach and we, 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 Joey and I have been very deeply involved for several weeks in this and our approach and our thought on it. And we've approached it our way and it, there's probably good things and probably not, you know, probably other things that we could have done differently. And, uh, Taylor is an, another United Methodist pastor who is, who's doing it in his own context, who is, uh, thinking through this stuff also. And so we want to hear from him and have that conversation. Also, uh, a great reason uh, to talk to Taylor is that Taylor himself exists in the podcast world. He himself is a podcast host. He is the host of, of uh, it participates in multiple podcasts. And really my first exposure to being on a podcast was on his podcast, um, where he has one of his podcasts is about the weekly readings that we preach on and stuff. So it'll be interesting to hear from Taylor, to hear more from him, uh, and to hear his thoughts on this stuff. So we will be at, back after the break with Taylor Mertens. SipTequila.com is a curated collection of high-end tequilas that can be shipped directly to your door. From crystal clear Blanco tequilas to older tequilas aged for six years in red wine barrels, SipTequila.com has something for everyone, novices and aficionados alike. Their white glove delivery service gets the bottles to you safely and securely with their very cute lids wherever you are in the United States. When your bottle arrives, follow along with their tasting notes and education for the full agave experience. Shop, ship, and sip with SipTequila.com. Mention that you heard this on our podcast with code SHELTER, S-H-E-L-T-E-R, and you'll get free shipping. SipTequila.com. Welcome back to Shelter in Place. We're here with Taylor Mertens, and Taylor, it's good to see you today. And uh, we always ask people the same questions when we start interviews. Tell us who you are, what you do, where you are sheltering, and who you're sheltering with. My name is Taylor Christian Mertens. I'm an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. I'm serving currently at Cokesbury United Methodist Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. I'm sheltering in place in my house in Woodbridge, Virginia with my beloved wife and my three-year-old who is turning, he's turning four on Monday. So um, I'm about to have a four-year-old. On Monday. I have a four-year-old. I feel you on that. So, but uh, I, I don't know. I, this is kind of my favorite age uh, in certain ways, at least, well, of course, there are I say that, and then they're all my favorite age, right? Um, well, it's a good age, but I imagine for sheltering in place, it might be a tough age. We have teenagers, and it's a little bit easier because I find that they're pretty self-sufficient at this point, other than having to beg them to do chores sometimes. So I, I imagine it's a very different experience with uh, preschool kids. Yeah, not a lot of needs. Yeah, we we uh, we have a PlayStation uh, 4, and my son is like his dexterity is now just enough that he can play <laughs> games. And so we've been playing like the Lego Batman game on yes. PlayStation. This is and a big that, deal. That has provided a lot of entertainment. Yeah. Cause that's, I mean, my, uh, my son has that, my four year old son has that on his tablet and it is a very important game to him. Uh, he likes to get all of the characters. Oh yeah. You can't beat the game until you have everybody. Yeah. So anyways, that is a, that is something we share. It's good to hear from you. Uh, Taylor himself is a podcast host. Taylor, tell us about your podcasts and how you came to be a part of those. A number of years ago, uh, serving in the United Methodist Church, I was struck by how we call ourselves a connectional system. We're you know, bound in connection with other churches and other places. And I, my estimation is we don't do a very good job of staying connected with each other. I was missing some of the conversations that I had with friends in seminary and started talking around with some other clergy and said, what's a way, you know, we live so far apart from each other. We can't really get together that often. How can we try to spend more time together? And we thought about, you know, having conversations online and maybe recording them and that sort of petered out. And then uh, some of my friends started doing it and having guests come on and talking to them about their own theology books they'd written, that sort of thing. And that became a podcast called Crackers and Grape Juice. And the idea behind it was, as I said, to have conversations, to have people join together and talk about a book they've written or an article they came across, uh, you know, 
church they're a part of that sort of thing. But that became, it snowballed really quickly and they needed help. And I know audio stuff. And so I offered to help edit episodes for which my friends were really grateful. And then it became so much that they needed more help with interviews. And I started doing that. And then I was the one who said, I think we should do a couple other podcasts, not just Crackers and Grape Juice. We interview people. We should do a lectionary-based podcast. The lectionary is a thing in the church, for those of your listeners who might not know what it is. It's a cycle of readings, a three-year cycle for readings every single Sunday for preachers to use, to preach upon and have worship. And uh, there are a couple lectionary podcasts out there. They're not very good, and they're really boring. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, uh, I, I, I'm someone who preaches from the lectionary and I came across one of them and it would be, oh, here in Genesis chapter one, we can see how the J source is pointing toward the post-exilic period. I mean, like that just doesn't preach. It's boring as hell. Like no one cares. So I started a lectionary based podcast where every Monday we have an episode that comes out that's for the Sunday texts that are coming in six days. And the idea is for preachers and lay people, they can listen to it, get some ideas about maybe what they might want to work on in a sermon or how to tune their ears to be prepared to hear what their preacher has to say on Sunday. We've done that for more than three years now. So we have, uh, I think we have like 170 episodes of just that one. We've got 200, I think, for crackers and grape juice. And that's every Friday. And we have a new one called You're Not Accepted, which is a line from a, a sermon by Stanley Harawas. And we're going through essays, sermons, papers, books written by Stanley Harawas every other week and we sort of unpack them talk about why we think they're important so we've been doing that for a long time and like you all we just started it out trying hoping that people would listen and it's really blossomed into something we never really expected we i think we're coming up probably by the fall we'll have hit our millionth download wow uh, so it's just kind of crazy just a snowball I, I, and a part of it is i think there's a hunger for theological content outside of just like the local church and this you know obviously started way before the sheltering in place that a lot of us are doing, but this has forced a lot of churches to start thinking like we were thinking three or four years ago about how can we make content available for people who either don't come to church on Sunday, won't come to church on Sunday, can't come to church on Sunday. And the weirdest thing of all has been like meeting people who listen, who I don't know through anything other than the fact that they've listened to the podcast. So little story, I was at Chick-fil-A not that long ago, well, way before all this stuff happened. And I was talking to a, a dad whose kid was playing in the play area like my kid was. And he asked me what I did. And I told him I was a pastor and he goes to this Anglican church in town. We we're talking and all of a sudden we started talking about David Bentley Hart of yes. all people. And uh, I said, yeah, yeah, you know, he's like crazy. And like, we had him on this podcast I'm a part of. He was like, wait a minute, are you, are you part of Crackers and Grape Juice? I was like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I listen to you guys every single week. Your voice sounded so familiar. Uh, and he's just a dad who like works in DC and listens every week. And it was super duper like weird to meet somebody in a Chick-fil-A who has listened to your voice through. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Cause uh, the, I mean now I think, and I feel like that's going to be more of a thing that happens now. Like as we sort of begin to shift towards like talking about the, the moment that we're in is uh, like several weeks ago, it was probably after either after my, the first or second week where we had to put together a live stream and I, interestingly enough, also went to Chick-fil-A, um, but went through the drive-thru and uh, there's a, a, one of the people who helped run it is a, is a church member. And so I, I see him and we're talking and he's like, oh, the live stream was great. You know, really appreciate it. And then all three other people who were delivering stuff in the drive-thru were like, yeah, it was great. We all watched it too. And they're not church members. They're not people I know at all. And I was like, oh, this is a, a weird sensation. Um, yeah. I mean, and I, I imagine even, especially if it's just based on your voice, it would be even, even more surreal. Yeah. And there's, there's definitely like this weird disconnect. I think churches are experiencing because so much of what you and I do is we see people face to face, you know, like we stand and we, we have the best vantage point in a church. We get to see everybody and everybody just look at us. And now we've just jumped all of a sudden where a lot of people are watching us, but we actually can't see them watching us, which is this really weird. You know, I've experienced we're having like six, seven, eight times as many people watch us on Sunday morning as we've ever had in a church on Sunday morning. Hmm. And some of them are like people I went to middle school with, (laughs) you know, who like see it on Facebook and are like nominally Christian or once were Christian. And then they like tune in and they listen. And then I get these messages from names of people I don't remember. And so I have to like look them up. I'm like, Oh yeah, I was in seventh grade gym with you. And here I am talking about Jesus. Uh, And that's just a totally weird foreign world. 
is it, uh, how do you deal with that? Because I know me personally, I, my story's not from God's chosen chicken, but uh, I was going through the Charlotte airport one time, and someone happened to recognize me as I was going down uh, one of the moving uh, walkways. It's like, hey, you're in that praise band. And I was like, yeah. And I have no idea who this person is. The worldwide is. famous Genesis yeah, the, praise band. The worldwide famous, yeah. But I mean, for me, I'm super awkward, because even people in church that I don't know will come up and say things to me at Kroger or wherever. And for me, it's really awkward. I guess you, you guys probably deal with that a lot more, though. I, I would say, and I, I know Alan knows what this like, is like, prior to all this happening, where everything's been like streamed online and everything, one of the ways that I encountered a tremendous number of people was doing funerals. And weddings to some degree, because there's just a yeah. ton of people who get together who never otherwise would have darkened the doors of your church. And it's it's weird having been in my second town now as a pastor where I've been in public places and someone's come up to me and say things like, oh my gosh, what you said at so-and-so's funeral, it really meant a lot to me. And I'm looking like, I, I, do you have the right person? Because I have <laughs> no idea who you are. And sometimes, like I've done enough funerals that sometimes they'll say the name of the person. I'm like, did I do that one? Like, I have to like really go <laughs> right. through the roll decks in my mind to make sure like, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, that was actually me. Yeah, that's true. So one of the commitments um, that you guys have on your podcast um, that I wanted to make sure we highlighted is that one of the commitments you guys have is um, to talk without using stained glass language. Can you tell our listeners a little bit? Because if Christine were here, Christine couldn't be on this week, but if Christine were here, she would appreciate your, she appreciates your commitment to non-stained glass language as much as I do. But talk a little bit about that. Right. So every week uh, I say the exact same thing for the intro to Strangely Warmed, which is the lectionary podcast, Grace and Peace. And welcome to Strangely Warmed, Strangely Warmed, the lectionary based podcast where we talk about the readings without using stained glass language. And that can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. I like to say it means that I can say shit on my podcast, um, <laughs> you know, uh, but it also means that we like that's part of it. But the other part is there's a whole bunch of Christianese words right. that preacher types use all the time. And it, it, even preachers don't know what they mean when they use those words. And so I, I'm always kind of listening. And when someone drops a word, like, like this is a very Methodist one, but when someone's talking about a passage and like, Oh yeah, you know, cause this like, this is this kind of word, like John Wesley gets prevenient grace. I have to be like, okay, you have to stop and tell right. everyone what that means. Because I really feel that we live in a world now where, especially with church online, but even with brick and mortar churches, people will come in who have never stepped foot in a church before. And so like, here's like a thing for me. I always insist on having the Lord's prayer in the bulletin. Right. Like, that's absolutely. just a, a, yeah. that, like, it should, it should be printed. And in both churches I've served people be like, look, I know you think we don't know what the Lord's prayer is, but I've been saying it longer than you've been alive, Sonny. I'm like, that's fine. I don't care about you. <laughs> I'm, I care about the, the family that's walked in. Who's never come to a church before. And all of a sudden some idiot like me says, everyone let's all join together in the Lord's prayer. And they look around like, why is everyone talking and saying the same thing? If you don't put it down, it's right. uncomfortable. What's well, I, I remember being a kid and like there there are several parts of a service, like things that you sing after the offering or prayers or whatever, and everybody just knows what to do. And I remember being a kid and looking at my mom and being like, "What? How does everybody know this?" You know, and she had to like dig through and show me where that stuff was. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's just a lot of there's a lot of abstractions and a lot of jargon that we use. So, anyways, I, I think I appreciate y'all's commitment to trying to parse some of that out. Uh, and that you don't feel like you have to be squeaky clean in terms of language either. Um, yeah, and I, that. I, I, to that, I think a lot of preachers have fallen into the trap of preaching for preachers. Like right. theologians write for other theologians because nobody buys theology except for other theologians. And wow, we've got to stay away from that in the church as much as we possibly can. And it's it's super hard to do. I, I'm, I'll never forget one of the first sermons I ever preached after seminary where somebody came up to me and said, son, it sounded real nice, but you used so many big seminary words. We didn't know shit what you're talking about. <laughs> I was like, okay, thank you. That's the most important lesson I'll receive in a long time. What, what does ministry look like for you in the midst of COVID-19? I keep describing it as, you know, the church is a people who get together who can't get together right now. Hmm. And that, that is part of our fundamental DNA. We're just people who hang out together regularly and we can't. <laughs> so I don't, it's like almost impossible to do church or at least to do it faithfully and to do it well right now. And a lot of, a lot of pastors, a lot of churches have done the best they can in a short time period of jumping to be online, making audio or visual or both available online, 
however like even in 2020 there's still a lot of people who don't have access to internet or don't have facebook right. or don't have youtube like they just can't participate uh, we've got people who like we have a phone line you can call and listen like and that's still super weird oh, that's can you imagine yeah like sitting in your living room with your phone just listening to some dude talk or girl talk <laughs> like it's just weird so i think it's really hard and I, you know i was talking with some other clergy friends about this life is still going on people are still getting sick from other things and they still want and need their pastor it's been really hard to you know to get calls from people saying hey i still have to go have my surgery i'd really like you to come pray for me at the hospital and i have to tell them i i can't like i'm i'm like legit not allowed to right for you and for them you can't yeah and that that's never before has this like come up not in my ministry and not and i don't think a lot of people's ministry so i think doing church right now is just fundamentally hard and there's also because this always happens like the worst part of our competitiveness is coming to the surface yep so you see churches with lots of money and bands hashtag salem you know like (laughs) being being able to like have your band there on sunday and like have decent music and, and it sounds pretty good like I'm in Woodbridge in Northern Virginia. There's, there's some money around us, but we live in like a lower socioeconomic area. We don't have a band. I'm the, like the custodian. And I are the only paid employees of the church. So on Sunday morning, I'm the only person there. I push my little button on my computer. I right. talk for 40 minutes. I sing the hymns acapella by myself. And you know, and of course I have this desire. I like turn on Facebook and I see, I see Alan, I see you up there preaching. I see all these other people doing stuff. And I think, gosh, I wish I had a band or I wish I had a slideshow or I wish the, the other things going on. But I keep trying to remind myself and other people like, gee, we really just have to try to do what we can and not try to be like everybody else and just know that, you know, God is going to make something of our nothing no matter what. Right. And I think actually really the, the reason that most people turn into any of these is for a more personal connection. So I, I don't know that, I mean, I think it's good for people to do whatever they're able to do, but I don't, you know, you wonder how much it matters to do as much as as much or as little as different people are doing it. I, I, I do wonder about that. Yeah, I think for us, our goal was to try to at least make that service, the one where we could do a live stream, as close to the real thing as possible. So we follow the same pattern. We do exactly what we would have done any other Sunday. Uh, and we still have a smaller staff. I mean, we're trying to keep right to way less than 10. Uh, so we only have four people on stage at any given time. And that, that is a lot different, but at least trying to bring some level of normalcy to people as best we can and introduce some of those other elements from the traditional service via video, right? Things like that. Yeah. I mean, and I, I think, think it's like, it's okay for it to like not be normal. Right. Yeah. Like this isn't normal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. I mean, we even have a, con- we even have regular conversations about like, we sort of are always taking the temperature of like, is it still responsible for all of us to be together? You know, um, because we're we're keeping the numbers low and everyone who is there at that time as well. And we are trying to stay distant from each other and not, you know, you know, we, we, and we wipe down everything when we're done and that kind of stuff. But then you see other people, you know, in these this online discussions talking about like, you know, the way that the virus can can come through aerosols and how long it can stay in the, the air and how singing and talking loudly can push those out more than than just sort of like normal presence with each other and and I think about that all the time is like when I look at other people who are like they've just like I'm just gonna do this for my living room and I'm like are they you know what does faithfulness look like in this like so far we've said well we're gonna do as much as we can to offer as much as possible to give some people some sense of comfort and connection but I'm always sort of like weighing that against the risk of it too because I do feel like there's a little bit of risk involved you know yeah, and this is getting like kind of into weird, you sort of looking at the bark rather than, you know, the trees rather than the forest, but like, what is the church? The church is where the word is proclaimed and the sacraments duly administered. We can't, can't do the can't second do part of that yeah. right now. So I, I don't know, like, I think it's, I, I think it can be really great, but a good time because it's forcing us to ask questions that we otherwise might not ask. Like, what is the church for? Who is it for? That sort of thing. And at the same time, it, you know, people are still hungry. Alan, you know, you, you know, I've talked about this a lot, but people are hungry for a good word. And by the good word, I mean like right. the gospel, like good news and right now, especially. And yet I still keep like, I, I, I'm watching all these other sermons because they're up on my social media all the time. And I just hear a whole lot of bad news. You know, people telling people like, you all need to be reading your Bibles every day when you're at, in quarantine and you need to be 
you need to be doing this. You need to be doing this. Because like, what gosh. we need is more things to do, right? Yeah, that, That's exactly that, that, what we need is like when like our kids are being, we're having to teach our kids and work at the same time. We're also being told like you should be productive all the time. Like it's, it's a, yeah, that's miserable news. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just, tr- I'm trying to do whatever I can to bring good news in the midst of a whole lot of bad. Yeah, I think that's right. I think if you, you know, you can have all the trappings of your normal service, but if you don't have the thing in the middle of it, that that connects people in a way with what message you're trying to you should be sharing it's it's sort of fruitless um and you know like you said with the sacraments at least we could have objectively said jesus was there in those uh not to get too theological but you know right now we just can't do that you know um what you know like score like you said like it's the church is a group of people who get together who can't right now like we're constituted by a meal and we can't have that meal and so it's it is i think it's really difficult to sort of pars out. Uh, I mean, for us, it, with the live stream too, like we had already been planning on a live stream for a long time. And so like we had the money for it sort of set aside. We had the the idea of it set aside. So, I mean, the fact that it was put together as fast as it was, was still kind of amazing, but it was partly because it was already on our mind. Like if we'd had no plan for it, I don't know that it would have happened the way it did where, you know, we, you know, um, there it came from a restricted fund, you know, the church. And so we were trying to, sort out how to do that. But like before they even, before the Bishop even canceled church, you know, church for several weeks, Joey just sort of anticipated and had already called the people who did the install and was just like, what would this look like? And and they were very responsive to it. And so it just sort of all, all took off, you know? Yeah. The, the digitization of the church started way before this did. Yeah. And some churches were prepared for it. Others weren't. When I was in high school, and I felt a call to ministry, uh, a mentor of mine said, hey, you, you need to preach in like six weeks so you can figure out whether this is actually something you think God is calling you to do. I was 16 years old. And he said, I want you to write out every single word that you're going to say from the pulpit. And it needs to be 2,000 words and it needs to be on this text. I was like, okay, I guess this is what preaching is. <laughs> and since I was 16, every sermon I've ever preached has been roughly 2,000 words and every one of them is online in, in text form. And starting, I don't know, a while back now, the, the audio for every sermon I've ever preached is also online because that was easy to do to just yeah. record it and make it available online. And what's crazy to me because it's digital and you can look at metrics and stuff. I have a blog, you know, and like there's like I have my, a, a sermon podcast that has all the sermons on it. And here I'll ask you all a question: What you know you can you can look and see like when things are downloaded and all that stuff. What day of the week and at what time do you think more people? listen to or read sermons than any other time during the week? That's a great question. I, I'm hesitant to guess maybe Tuesday. I was thinking Tuesday also. So it's Saturday night at seven o'clock. Huh? And it's because it's a bunch of preachers who don't know what they're going to talk about. on oh, Sunday morning. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I can go through and I can look and I know it because I can see. So I preach the lectionary. It's a three-year cycle. I can right. look and on a right. Saturday night, it will say, you got 200 hits on this sermon, which is the lectionary text, but it's a sermon I preached three years three ago. Three years ago. Because- you, you, know, you say that and now I think about it. Um, I, I, I used to do what you did. I don't do it anymore. I don't I don't write out manuscripts as, as carefully as I used to for a variety of reasons. Um, but when I did, I used to post them to a blog and I would and I would always be curious about like, gosh, I wonder why people are accessing that one. And, you're, and, and I'm not sure I even put it together at the time that it was because they were... <laughs> They were writing their own sermons on it, and they so mine cramming. came. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they were writing their own sermon. Like, what did somebody else say about this? Yeah, we're not going to be able to go right back into things as they were before. There's going to be a transition, and really to try to get a feel from you guys, what you think that how 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 we need to approach that as a as a church to allow people back in. What is social distancing going to mean for people coming into a service? Can they sit next to each other on pews? Do they have to be six feet apart? I mean, how, how is that all going to work? I, I see it sort of as like two things can happen. Either one, when it is all said and done, a whole bunch of people are going to come back to church because they've just so craved not being around people, not being around their community, and just this desire to be present with people. Or the, this, this digital version of the kingdom is, is, I mean, it's with us for sure, but we're going to kind of be stuck with it. And I think that's a little more indicative of reality, which is to say, I've had people write to me from my church and say, whenever we do come back together, are we going to have greeters at the front door? Are we going to have the passing of the peace? 
because this isn't really like a seasonal flu where it's just like oh a couple people got sick right i think the 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 trauma of this for lack of a better word is going to stay with people for a while and i think it's if we get back to the numbers of people who were in church prior to this happening i think it's going to take a while before it happens yeah i think i'm pretty much with you i mean i think that's that's a question I've asked is, you know, if, if they move from allowing 10 people to 50 people in a room, what, what good does that do us? Because we have four services and all of them are more than 50 people. Um, you know, one of them can hover around 50 people. And so, but, you know, what does that look like going forward? It, you know, our, our sanctuary is really big and not full. And so you wonder about like, if we have to do some distancing, do we have to move certain things into the sanctuary just for the moment to be able to, you know, have people at the distance they need to be? Because, you know, you can fit, you know, 500 people in the sanctuary. Well, it's never, rarely ever gets that full. And so do you have to do some kind of spacing, you know, in our own context? Do we have to keep, do we have to keep offering one live stream service from the fellowship hall that no one's in so that, you know, that for people who don't come, I mean, I'm with you too. Like, I I do hope that, you know, we get some, we've had good guidance generally, I think so far in terms of our leadership. And I hope that that will continue to say this, this is what, this is what we want to see now. This is how we want to see it. It was a real, I don't know about you, Taylor, but it was a relief to me that I didn't have to make the call to cancel church the first time. You know, when that email went out, I was like, oh, thank you. Like now there's something behind that because at that point, everybody was kind of like, how seriously do I take this? And so we were sort of all on the fence. And then when Bishop Lewis said, like, that's it, I at least knew that was it, you know? I, I can tell you that I people keep dying yeah, from this and from other things because that's life. Uh, it always ends in death. And, I, you know, I've had to talk to families about, um, you know, the, the dead are dead, so we should probably wait to do a service, and that's okay. But people, you know, those have happened. And now I'm getting like, well, how long do you think we're going to have to wait? Like, how long? Because, I mean, from things I've read, it, you know, it's not just going to go from, okay, it's all over now. Everything's back open again. You know, especially in the church, it's going to be maybe like, you can only have 50 people in a place at a time. And then, and then, so what do you do? You say to all of your church members, okay, only the last names A through M can come to the 830 service and N through Z can come to the 11. I mean, and then you have to, you have to do like the grocery stores do you put tape on the pews to show how far apart you have to be. And I have to wear gloves during this. I don't know. Uh, and this is one of those times that I am grateful to be part of a, a, a connectional system with an episcopacy that can tell us this is what it's going to be. I wouldn't want to be some lone ranger church saying, okay, I guess I, we're going to try something. And then someone gets it and someone dies because you did it wrong. You know, it's nice to have someone else tell you, okay, well, this is what it's going to look like going forward. So I'm kind of waiting because it's anybody's guess what it's going to look like. I think that a lot of people, particularly people who are more vulnerable because they're immunocompromised or their age or whatever, like they're just not going to come back quickly anyway. And that will take a long time. It will take people a long time to trust any public interaction. I mean, I've, I've been reading about, you know, the NFL still wants to be able to have their games because it's a billion, billion dollar industry. But a whole lot of people, season ticket holders for the NFL have said, I'm not coming to an NFL game until there's a vaccine. And I think that's going to happen in the church too. Yeah. So I, I mean, Joey, I, I don't know. And I don't think anybody knows, but I mean, one of the things I've talked about for a long time is that the future of the church is small. <laughs> and that sounds bad because we, we're, we're Americans and like everything's big, but the, there are rare and rare churches that can grow substantively and be big. There are some that are always, they're like so big, they're too big to fail kind of thing. There's way more churches that are my size, you know, less than 150 on Sunday total that are just going to get, are forced to, are going to be forced to be smaller anyway, because uh, the tsunami of death that's coming for like the baby boomer generation and other concerns. And I think a lot of people are going to be doing church in their living rooms, whether it's like with neighbors or like watching people like us do church on Sunday morning somewhere else. I just think that this has forced that inevitable future a little bit further along. How about that for like an uplifting note? I know, I know. We always seem to go go, go real deep and dark <laughs> right there towards the end. The culture of the church was already changing before this happened. And so it will be interesting to see whether or not it sort of accelerates it in certain ways or, or changes. Like you said, it could be that people really, you know, 
I, I do see people connecting with our live stream who I haven't seen in church very much, right? They're, they care about our church. They, I think in their hearts they want to be a part of the church, but they've not been able to because of life, and they, they let other things sort of take... Um, and, and so maybe this helps them reprioritize it because, you know, we, we, we've worked... I mean, our, our, our sort of central sort of thrust of what we've tried to do is to say it is our job because it is our job to make disciples of Jesus. It is our job to keep people connected and whatever that looks like, we got to figure it out so that people remain connected during this time and, and, and maybe even grow. I mean, it's possible that some people are growing, you know, like, or not, but, but maybe it leads some people back. But, you know, if inertia tells us anything, it could be, it could be a lot harder to, to get people back. And I think sometimes I think about that and sometimes I try not to think about that. <laughs> Some people have remarked to me that they've had their young families on the live stream every single Sunday, and they usually only get them once a month. And like, I just, I feel like people are being more faithful. And somebody else said, well, you know, all the soccer leagues got canceled. Right. They, they, and, all the all the other things to do got canceled. And and as we talked about at the beginning, like there's a bunch of parents at home with kids and they're trying to fill all this time. And okay, on Sunday, you got to be quiet and you got to sit down and you got to watch this thing. And because you got to do something, I don't know how what the long term of that is. But of course, I mean, God, God delights in doing stuff that we wouldn't expect. And I mean, as I said at the beginning, if it means that friend, friends of mine from middle school are hearing the good news, like did not see that coming, but cool. Awesome. <laughs> like I'm, I'm into it. Yeah, I think that's true. So, well, Taylor, we appreciate uh, your thoughts on this stuff and sort of struggling through this together. Uh, you know, our, our podcast is not uh, primarily based uh, in being a religious podcast, but part of our goal is to lift up the real life experiences of people during this time. So that's why we've talked to a lot of different kinds of folks. Last, you know, last up, a couple episodes ago, we had a chaplain on, and, and her challenges were very different. And so I spent a lot of time ruminating about this in my own job, but it's helpful to to think about it with you and with Joey, so that we can kind of think about what that looks like. So the other question we always ask people in the midst of all of this, amidst all we've talked about, all that's possible, all that we're looking at, where are you personally finding shelter? I love Star Wars. And I've been able to watch the new Clone Wars, the season seven of Clone Wars on Disney plus with my very soon to be four year old every Friday morning, which has been dope and really, really fun. And for those 25 minutes, I'm able to turn off my brain to everything else that's happening in the world. And I get to jump into the star Wars universe for a little bit, which is really, really fun. I love the Bon Appetit YouTube channel because it's funny and it's cooking and I love to cook. And for those, depending on how long the episode is, I get to escape and I get to be, you know, shelter in my place and watch someone cook somewhere else, which is really, really fun. And I've been reading a lot, which was harder at first. I mean, I mostly like I can read when my son's napping because my son still naps, which is awesome. Or like after he goes to bed, but I've I've read a lot in the last month, and I read a lot anyway. But I've read a lot, uh, and some of those books have been really important. I've reread some things like this is you know super nerdy, but I I reread Bart's Dogmatics and Outline because the thing's coming right. The are you gonna there's the um the Harawas and Willimon. Uh, this is sorry we're nerding out for a second, Joey. Uh, but there's a there there are two uh, basically one's a bishop and one's a professor retired professor from Duke who are doing a their own sort of live stream once a week about uh Bard's dogmatics and outline. So you are you rereading in preparation for that? No, the problem is I reread it the very first week of like being <laughs> in quarantine. And then I just found out that they're doing it, which is fine. Cause it means. Oh, I'm so like, it's not for that. You just did it cause you felt like it. I just did it cause I wanted to, uh, but I re I, like, I read Gerhard Fortis on being a theologian of the cross. And I've just, I've read a ton of theology and a ton of fiction that I've had laying around for a while. And I, I love to read. It's a good, it's a good little escape. Um, that, that those are some of the things I've been doing, and I've also just like listened to a ton of music, <laughs> right? Yeah, confession. I I've never actually read Dogmatics and Outline, so I ordered it <sighs> to be prepared for the for the uh, the live stream. So. Um, do you have a copy of the whole Dogmatics? Yes. Okay. Nerds. We'll talk. We'll, we'll, talk we'll talk about it another time. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other things we ask all of our guests to do, Taylor, is to highlight a nonprofit that is near and dear to your heart. So. Taylor, do you have a nonprofit that you want our listeners to hear about? Yeah. I mean, any local food bank is super duper important, especially right now, but has always been important. I read this thing years ago about this huge study that spent all this money looking at education for kids. 
what's the, the number one thing you can do to help educate young people? And like, is it better textbooks? Is it better? Is it smaller classroom sizes? Is it more time outside? I mean, they looked at every little thing they could possibly think of. And they, it came to like the very distinct conclusion that the number one way to increase education for young people is to give them food. Hmm. Like that's it, full stop. If you give kids food, they will be smarter. <laughs> like it's just, it's really that simple. And the church I serve is right across the street from an elementary school where it's like 96% of the kids are on free or reduced lunch. And the overwhelming number of them don't and cannot count on a meal Saturday and Sunday because they don't have food at home. And so they fully rely on food Monday through Friday coming from the school. Mm. So uh, we have a food distribution that we have in our church parking lot once a month and like nearly a thousand people show up for it every month. Wow. Food scarcity is like a big thing where I am. And I, whether it's kids, just people who are hungry, I mean, and especially right now because of food and access to food, food, any food bank, donating to a food bank, buying food for a food bank, you can never go wrong. What kind of adjustments have you guys had to make in order to, to share that food safely? Yeah, that's been really tough because the very, you know, the way, like the timing of it was, we canceled church and then the next Thursday we were supposed to do the food distribution, but the County was the one that actually said, you can't do it anymore. And so the County has reshifted things around where we are to use local schools as drop sites. And they have teachers and other people who go and help cars line up and they have everyone like sort of distribute in a way that is more helpful. We just did it. Like we, we were just a place that did it because we had a big parking lot, but now because schools aren't in session, they can use those and they're a little more strategic where they're located so that more people can come to them and get, and get their food. Yeah. And finally, Taylor, what, what we ask for all of our guests is to share their shelter in playlist song. So shelter in playlist, it's a playlist we have on Spotify. Everyone that comes on the podcast uh, gets to contribute. Plus anyone out there can contribute as well. All you have to do is send us a note. Um, so Taylor, what is your shelter in playlist song? So I'm going to give you one song, but I'm going to give you three bands and three albums just to keep out there for people to, to know. You don't have to add this to the playlist. Well, we're always looking to add stuff, so it doesn't really matter to us. It's sort of an arbitrary one number. <laughs> All right. So if I, can, if I can choose one song, it is Under Control by The Strokes from their album Room on Fire, which came out in 2003. And I love that song very, very much, partly because I'm a drummer and uh, uh, it yeah. starts with this like super simple snare just intro into the song and then this great opening guitar chord and every time i hear it i it just like brings such a smile to my face and it makes me think of high school and a whole bunch of other things so under control by the strokes from the room on fire album in 2003 however i will say that during this time i've been listening to three albums so i just discovered a band called the olympians and they put out an album in 2016 called the olympians and it is uh, instrumental funk. And I've written every sermon in quarantine to the Olympians. <laughs> uh, like I'm a big explosions in the sky. Like yeah. I, I, re I really like instrumental music because if, if there's words in it, I can't write because I start listening to the words. So the Olympians has been great. Uh, I, I, I've just been listening to the new Strokes album a lot because I really like the Strokes. And then uh, Paul Desmond's Bossa Antigua from 1965. He's, he's the saxophone player for the Dave Brubeck Quartet. Uh, I have a lot of vinyl and I got a pretty nice turntable and um, being at home so much has like given me an opportunity to like pull out a bunch of old wax that I haven't listened to in a while. So I've been listening to a ton of jazz too, but under control by the strokes. That'll be Taylor's uh, official contribution to the shelter and playlist. And if you want to uh, contribute to our shelter and playlist, you can find us on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and you can send us your selections or you can go to our website, soulgroupmedia.com, S O U L g-r-o-u-p-m-e-d-i-a.com taylor thanks for being on the pod today make sure to check out taylor's podcast the crackers and grape juice podcast as well as the lectionary based strangely warm podcast taylor thanks again for being on our podcast today thanks taylor it was a privilege and a joy thank you both so we've come to the part of the show where we share our shelter and playlist picks for this week joey what is your pick for this week so I'll finally get some cure on here on our shelter and playlist i went with never enough by the cure uh, really uh, love this song. It's a good, it's an upbeat song, even though it's really kind of about no matter what you do, you try this, you try that, you do this, you do that. It's never quite enough, which kind of feels a little bit like what we're in here with, right. uh, with the, with sheltering in place for this long. And we don't know when it's going to be up. So that that's my song for this week.
So what's your song for this week? So my song um, is a song by the band Goldfinger uh, called uh, Superman. Um, it's uh, the lyrics of the song are a lot about trying to do a lot of things and trying, you know, sort of, you know, as the title says, be like, trying to be like Superman. And I don't think that I'm, I would not say I'm intentionally trying to exist in that way, but I think given the content of this week's episode in terms of talking about trying to be a ministry, we've said this plenty of times on the podcast. It just feels like I'm working more now than I did before because there's no barrier between work and home. And I'm just trying to do all the things all the time, you know, and we're also trying to teach our kids and help them with work and do all the things that they need. And so it just feels like, you know, um, I finally this week, I was telling Joey before we got on, I finally this week had to go over to the church and go to my office and take the office chair out of my office and bring it home because I'm starting to get like a dull pain in my back from sitting at my dining room table for a month and a half. And I think part of that is that sitting at the table, but like part of it is also just like tension, you know, and just, and it's like, it's been colder for the last couple of weeks and so I haven't been out as much. Like I was like, I feel like when it's, you know, and I feel like this is a rhythm. A lot of people is like, oh, I'm going to walk. You know, I'm going to be out, like, I'm going to have a rhythm and make sure I take care of myself. And it's just like, like, it's just like, especially when it got a little cooler, just post Easter, I've just been like, in a, you know, just in a haze, just trying to do the things that need to get done. But so I, anyways, I identify with that song. Um, also, we need a more ska on the playlist. And um, as we all know, that that's my responsibility is to make sure there's plenty of ska on any playlist. So it's never enough, never enough, never enough. So, uh, so check out, uh, the songs in the shelter and playlist. You can find those on Spotify, uh, look for shelter in playlist. Uh, if you all, you can also find it on our website at soulgroupmedia.com. It's S O U L G R O U P M E D I A.com. Uh, check it out there. And if you have shelter in playlist picks, make sure you send them to us, email them to us. Uh, you can send them to us on social media. You can find us in any of those places. Uh, but we hope you have a good week and, Thank you for hunkering down with us. We hope you'll join us next time. Shelter in Place is an original podcast of Soul Group Media. It's produced by Joey Porch of Liquor Sickle Productions. The theme song was written and performed by Joey and Zella Porch. If you would like to find out more about the podcast and Soul Group Media, you can visit our website, soulgroupmedia.com. That's S-O-U-L-G-R-O-U-P-M-E-D-I-A.com or find us on social media. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review. It helps others to find the podcast and hunker down with us. Yeah.